Hello, everybody, and welcome to Between Two Servers, the show for game developers. We're talking multiplayer and VR, and maybe a little bit of metaverse today with Thad Frogley from Endreams Orbital. Welcome to the show, Thad. Hi, Glenn. It's good to be talking to you today. Well, thanks for coming on the show. So uh, let's let's go a little bit back to you. So let's talk about your career at Climax, worked at Rockstar, and now you're at Endreams Orbital. Tell us a bit about how you got started in the industry. I got started. I mean, my story goes back to when I was a little kid. Right? Go, um, let's do it. I, I did not do well at school. I was mm-hmm. I was struggling at school, and um, my my parents like got me tested. Like, was was there something wrong with me? Um, they found out that you, you know, were an engineer. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, like dyslexia was a new thing so I got tested for dyslexia and they found out I'm like a little bit dyslexic I'm not good with my spelling I can't I don't um remember long sequences of numbers very easily like I still really don't know my my wife's telephone number for instance and um I've I've been married long enough that that should definitely be the case uh I I to get to to computers home computers were a pretty new thing and they were like really pushed as like oh help your kids at school Help your kids yep. at school with, yep. with a home yep. computer. Yep. I got an, uh, as my parents got me a, a ZX eighty one, mm. um, and Specky like, got the Specky. That's classy. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the of course the, you're in the UK, and of course the Specky in the UK is a big yeah. fucking deal. Well, yeah. um, Sinclair Sinclair was massive. Um, it was like yeah. the local boy done good. It was the UK's own Silicon Valley, um, and and like the ZX eighty one was like this one K have one K of memory. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Um, like, if I wanted to play any games on it, I had to type them in off a magazine and I had to be careful I didn't knock the keyboard in I the wrong way days. or the, the RAM pack will wobble and the whole thing's just gone. Yeah. Um, and so, like, a lot of magazines had, like, if you were into computers, uh, you get magazines and you type in the programs. And, like, either I would make mistakes typing them in or um, the, they would have mistakes in the magazine and then like they don't run and I have to fix them. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I started, like yeah. typing in, typing in the games I couldn't buy so I could play them and making mistakes and then fixing the mistakes. Um, yeah. So I kind of learned to read code like that. Um, were, they, with, were, these um, in, were these in basic back then? I think. Yeah, I yeah, it's in basic. Yeah. Like yeah. I was I was like eight years old, seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. I was not mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I wasn't coding assembly. Um, and I kind of went from that to a BBC. And again, yep. it was like, uh, it's it's to help at school, but I was making games. Um, yeah. And like my whole kind of, like this was, became the one thing I was good at. Like I wasn't yeah. good at sports. I wasn't yeah. good at like writing. I wasn't good at, uh, I wasn't good at kind of classic schoolwork. I was good with computers. So this became like my thing I would get satisfaction from. Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew my whole life. I kind of knew all through yeah. my childhood, like what I wanted to do when I grew up. I want to make computer games. I want to be a programmer. I want to make computer yeah. games. I, um, I knew that. I knew that too. I, I started in in when I was ten on a IBM PC AC two eight six nineteen eighty seven, and and I knew also all the way before I was even. I knew I wanted to be a programmer. Yeah, hundred like, percent. It, it absolutely. It's a blessing, right? Like knowing what you want to do. So many people. Yeah. I talked to a lot of people I talk to a lot of young people um like I've got my own kids uh teenagers and and I I'm involved in uh kind of a a charity uh community interest company called into games that's like about helping kids get into the games industry kind of forging pathways into the industry and like so many people just don't know what they want to do 
And that's like, that's hard. Like I talk to them and mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. like, what's next? It's not that it's like a blank page of excitement. It's a blank page of horror, right? Like, yeah. how do I make these choices? How do I make I've these just never, choices? I just never, I just knew. I and just yeah, always knew. I, yeah. I, I went through my life just knowing, just knowing yeah. what I wanted to do. So when yeah. like I, I made the choices that took me down that path and I ended mm-hmm. up in college uh, doing A-levels in maths, computer science and physics, yeah. uh, just like a flunk physics because I spent all my time in the computer lab making yeah. games, making I dropped, games. I dropped out. I dropped out because I did the, I looked, I looked at the computer science and, and again, I equated computer science with programming. Now, of course, we know, we know now being older and a little wiser that there is a lot more to computer science than just programming, but I was already at age 18 better at programming than anyone else in, in the classes or in the labs. And it's because I've been doing it for 12 years. Right now. I'm not saying I was shit hot at age 18, but like, you know, I, I was programming C, I was programming assembly and, uh, but there's the mathematics and, the, the, the computer science, there is stuff there to learn. It's just, I was too young and kind of, I wanted to be a coder. I really yeah. didn't want to be a computer scientist, yeah. to be frank. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, when I got to the end of my A-levels, um, I kind of had this, this choice. It's like, do I go to university mm-hmm. or do I, do I um, like take a job in computing? Um, uh, I, I made this uh, like demo, you know, the demo scene? Like, yeah, I was in it, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. so I made a, a, a kind of demo scene style demo to run on the computers. I was working in Dixon's, which is a retail store, and I was trying to sell the computer. So I made this demo yeah. scene demo to make them all look really good. And this yeah. guy comes in and he's like, oh, like I want to buy some computers for my business. Like, can you tell me about this? I've not seen this before. It's obviously been around the other stores. And I was like, oh, I made this. Like, yeah. just show how good these computers are because I'm trying to sell the computers. Um, and he was like, you made that. That's incredible. You should come work for me. Um, so I had this opportunity to like take a job for this guy who had his own computer uh, business mm-hmm. or go to university. So I, um, I went through the back, there's this magazine, it's still running, but it was like the games magazine in the UK in the nineties was like edge. Yeah, yeah, I so I went through the back edge of good. edge. Yeah. And, and like they had back then you could get uh, like a consumer gaming magazine and in the back there'd be job ads for games yeah. companies. And I went yeah. through them, like just sat on the phone for a whole day calling up these game companies as like a uh, like 17 18 year old kid just asking them like i have got like an opportunity i want to get into the games industry but i've been offered a non-games job and i've also been offered a placement in university like yeah. what's best if yeah. i want to be in the games industry is it experience as a programmer not in games or is it a university education and like a hundred percent of the people was like i'll get the ex- job experience get the work experience yeah. and go to university yeah. um now yeah. i would never give that advice to people these days because times have changed yeah it's um, true yeah it is different now yeah. they there was like this, this perception that you if you go to university they'll teach you the wrong things like mm-hmm. you will be ta- taught about databases and like algorithms. And actually we need you to do assembly language and hacking and like, mm-hmm. just, just kind of make the computer do stuff. Don't, don't be highfalutin and academic. I've, I've, I've talked, I've talked to people, even, even actually people that I've hired and people today, I can ask them what's 256 in a byte. And they won't right? get it. They won't get it uh 255 like maybe maybe right 
or, or, or it's like, what's one to the power of eight in a byte? Classic screen, right? What is it? Well, it turns out it's 256, but you can't store 256 in a byte because there's only eight bits. You can store up to 255. So it wraps around a zero. And I fucking know it. I don't oh, know yeah. it. I mean, you don't know how the computer works that you're working yeah. on. You have to know how a computer works. Yeah, you just have yeah. to. Even if you're even if you're coding in Node or JavaScript, or, just know what a fucking byte is. Jesus fuck. I, right? It's um like you know, Joe Spolsky's got this law of leaky yeah. abstractions, right? Like yeah. in the end, you end up having to know how things work, even when You've you got build to. layers. Yeah. Um, because hey, the abstractions. You, leak, you have to understand endianness if you're going to go, even if you're on a backend program, or even if you're doing boring netcode. And how are you going to know what endianness is if you don't even know what a byte is? And you can get a lot done without knowing like those <laughs> details, but at some point, at some point, you. I think I think it's because I did a bit, bit of graphics programming, so I had to kind of get the byte drilled into my head. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing. You can ask ninety-nine percent of programmers today out of college with a master's. You could ask them this question, and they won't know the answer. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I got like basically got given this advice by the games industry as a whole in the uk the uk games industry is its own like kind of special yeah. thing um and yeah i took this job and then like six months later i uh, doing doing it was just doing virtual uh not virtual visual basic front ends i was doing visual basic front ends yep. for database systems for like hr businesses hr departments uh like people's learning and development pathways mm -hmm. um and a friend called me up, someone I knew from college, was like, oh, I've done this internship for a games company and they wanted to hire me, but I want to go to university. Do you want to apply for the job? Um, yeah. Um, he was like, I'll give you a referral. Come in, talk to the guys. It was um, Julian Gollop from Mythos Games. Mm -hmm. So I did an interview with Julian and Nick, the Gollop brothers. They offered me the job. Yep. Uh, and then my friend changed his mind. It was like, I want to work here too. Like, should we all work here together? And they were like, yeah, they'll give him the job too. So it That's was great. It was basically the four of us um, making XCOM Apocalypse in this tiny Ooh. little office. XCOM, um, such a fucking great game. I loved it growing up. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's the first XCOM Apocalypse is it's my first, game. like, that's my, that's my first game I worked on professionally. That's my first yeah. professional game. So I, I always have a lot of love for it, a lot of stories about like the things I made for it. Um, and and it, it drives me bonkers now because people are like, oh, I love XCOM. And they're talking about the new XCOM. No, 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 it no. It breaks no, no. my the heart. Old, no, no, the old is, the old is an utter, <laughs> utter classic. Like I, I played the shit out of that. Yeah. Well, well, good. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Thad. Appreciate it. It was, it was, uh, an education that was yeah. you know like the 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 being a game developer in the 90s was like we had we had like a tiny office the four of us so this this space you see around me yeah i reckon this is bigger my my office now is bigger than the whole yeah. of mythos games was in the 90s yeah. there was there was like i was i was sat here dave was sat next to me nick and julian were just the other side yeah. and then we had these two other guys it was uh, just it was just a couple of dudes in a room yeah, like that we, shared, we yeah. shared the office with two guys called Ian, both of them called Ian, a programmer and an artist, and yeah. they were making another game, just borrowing wow. the office space. So there was like wow. the six of us in this tiny, sweaty office above a chip shop in Harlow in Essex. Ah. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
Wow. It was, it was good times. It was my 20s. In my 20s. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. I went, I went after that. I mean, Metals Games expanded and then like it hit hard times. It shrunk again. I worked for a company in Cambridge. You remember Creatures? Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a unique games company like Creature Labs or Cyberlife. It got renamed Cyberlife. They made the, the Creatures games with norms and like, online communities got really like heated about whether norms were actually living and whether you could be cruel can you be cruel to this virtual creature um, that you'd hatch from an egg and it was neural nets so this company was founded like by really hardcore ai academics mm-hmm. um like cambridge professors and they had their own separate office from like the games team their separate office and they did research for the military yeah, and they did they did they did like simulations of people <laughs> moving around in banks. And then occasionally they'd essentially drop a white paper over the over the wall here, into the games the, company and be like Anna from heaven, boys. Yeah. You should use this tech. Yeah. Um, so I was like making a, a virtual <clears throat> machine for their like wild programming language that they had invented. Um yeah, yeah I, I was getting, getting getting very nostalgic. Yeah, um, tear in your eye over there. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, after that, I like they hit hard times because it was really like boom and bust in the games. The games industry yeah. is essentially the, like the UK in particular is a boom and bust cycle. Oh, it's like what what we would see. I remember it's like little tiny games company would would struggle by on a shoestring, mm-hmm. and and like m- maybe have a bunch of terrible games that mm-hmm. or even great games that don't get any traction and then they get a hit right they get a hit and they get a ton of money because it's a in- hit driven industry and they would expand yeah way faster than they should yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and they're stay not lame. able to repeat that success like yeah. like yeah. and i yeah like, this is happening this is happening now with the indies so like they should listen right when you get this big success you you've got lucky you don't know how to make a hit you put it in the uh, bank yeah like you put it in the bank you carry on and see if you can repeat that success yeah. Um, and you know, some people do people like, like Mike Bittnell has, has, has been like a really great business example as well as a, like a great game developer. Um, but yeah, you like these companies that they'd get a hit and they'd like massive ambition, hire loads of people and then fail to deliver. Yeah. Um, and then, and then go bust. The burn, and, the burn rate is so high and it's just, they need that hit and then they die. Yeah. That's how it happens. <sighs> so so in that scene back at that time, like it was, it was like uh, no one respected PC developers. Mm-hmm. Like the games industry was all about console. Yeah, like the 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 Sega. Like if you were yeah. making games for Sega or you were making games for Nintendo, or or bless you, Sony's new system, the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that was cool, right? That yeah. was respected. Um, because anyone can get a PC and make games. So I had this need to get a game out on the console, like be, yep. be a console developer. I, I um, felt that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked for this, I went and worked for this company called, um, what was it called? King of the Jungle, King of the Jungle. And again, this was this tiny little office in London. Um, and I took, when I was job hunting, right, um, I had an opportunity to work for the Bitmap Brothers. Like, and yeah, like back from the Amiga days, I'm not, I'm very, not very well known. 
Like I'm not Xenon, Xenon Mega Blast, etc. Yeah, like amazing games. Honestly, like some of one of the best 16-bit developers um ever in history. Like Speedball is one of my favorites, and Speedball 2 in particular is yeah. absolutely brilliant game. But yeah. I had this this kind of sense when I was in their office for the interview, like this was a company in decline. Like they were mm. past mm-hmm. their best. Yeah. And and they were like, we're focusing on PC now. So I was like, oh, man, I can work for these, these, this classic, uh, like big name developer, be my brothers who have essentially been my heroes for years. Um, but I'm still doing PC games and, and kind of felt like it was, it was the, the milk was a little bit past its best. It was turning to yeah. cheese. Um, or this other company where I hadn't heard of, I didn't know anyone, but they were making a GameCube game a PlayStation yep. game and an Xbox game, um, like, like across all three platforms. And they were using, they were using middleware, which was like a new, really new. a risk. Like this is sort of like the, this is sort of like the criterion renderware era so where middleware using, was coming out. Like no one remembers this. They were using middleware called Netimerse. Huh. Uh, but it was like, it was the competitor for renderware. It was like, it was renderware mm-hmm. or, or Netiverse, the two, before, I mean, before Unity. Yeah, and before, before EA Unreal. brought RenderWare and stopped everyone else yeah. using it. Yeah, like RenderWare and um, Netimerse were like the two Oh, no, buying. actually, Netimerse, I, I used Netimerse yeah? in 2001 on Freedom Force at Irrational Games, which was my first game. So I, I actually was in, in, the, in the early, t- and that's, that's David Eberly, the excellent mathematician. Um, yeah, it was a good engine. That, it guy's, was that guy's a smart guy. Yeah. Right? I, I would propose that his scene graph-based engine was not quite the most efficient way to implement a 3D engine. But um, but having said that, like we shipped Freedom Force with it. And yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. it was cool. Yeah. So we we're making this slot racing game. Like, I don't know why we were making scale electrics, but without access to the scale electrics license, right? <laughs> not in hindsight, the best business decision. But yep. for me. I got to play with like these three yeah. pieces of hardware, three console games, and that mm-hmm. that set me up for this um, opportunity to work for Rockstar. We needed someone to yeah, full on. Like I, I've worked on a console before. Come on in. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's how, that's really how it is. I mean, the, the 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 setup was perfect, right? I had I had just spent a year working across those three platforms, and they needed someone to lead their port of uh, GTA three from PlayStation to Xbox. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. I've just spent a year on both platforms. I understand the differences. I can, I can navigate this. Um, Was this PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 1? It's all blurred, isn't it? Yeah. yeah cool. No, I cool. think it's played. GTA 3 was PlayStation 2. I think. Yeah. I mean, so like, I I'm think showing my is, age here. This is back in the era when consoles were basically like, hey, by the way, you're writing a device driver. <laughs> it's like, you want to do anything? You're writing a device driver. So it's pretty hardcore stuff that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was lucky. Like the, sure. I had Netimerse with um, the, the first round uh, mm-hmm. when I was working on Groove Rider and, and then GTA is a renderware based game. Yep. Uh, GTA 3 is built in renderware. So we had renderware. We had, we had their support uh, before they were bought by EA. Um, the shockwave that created in oh, yeah. Rockstar when they bought it. I was, that was incredible. That was, that was wow. Terms of like seeing a biz a business the scale of Rockstars just flinch because yep. of like 
Well, these, these so days, honestly, behind. nobody is going to use any middleware and depend their game on it unless they have source code access. End of story, period, right? Because of stuff like this. Well, and even I then, it's know. often not good enough because you don't get the support of the engineers anymore. A lot, a lot of people put, put building their building their businesses in Unity without mm -hmm. Unity source license access. Yeah, yeah. Like we, I, we I, have... I personally wouldn't do that. That's yeah. just me. No, I, I, when I worked for Boss Alien, um, the mm -hmm. the first like I worked there after Climax, they mm -hmm. had a really popular um, racing game, drag racing game for mobile, and that was Unity. And I was a little bit nervous about coming in to yeah. a project where I didn't have source access. I was, yep. I was one of those guys sat there going, well, I have fixed engine bugs in my yep. middleware in every yep. project that I've shipped. Like no, what I happens can't. when I hit that bug on this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, this, this is probably more, more than 10 years ago now, but like Unity's support it's was, come along. Was, was strong. If you had a problem, you, you'd message them. If you had the pro support, they would, they would come in and they would help you fix it. That's definitely a positive for Unity there. Um, so let's talk about multiplayer in VR. So you're working at Endreams Orbital. Yes. What, what can you talk about for what you're working on right now? Um, we are building a, a live service game. We think mm -hmm. live service, a big component of live service for us is multiplayer. Because we want to yep. build a game with that has a community about yep. it. Um, the, the kind of... Being in VR with someone is like being there in person. It's hard. It's hard to describe. Yeah. Like this face to face on on a video call. Um, We're really like, aware it's separate. Yeah. It, it's it's different. It's yeah. not the same. And it's. I was very surprised. Have you tried um, workrooms? I haven't, but I did. I did a little demo for Oculus. They actually paid me to make a big cube demo where you could pick up and stack cubes with someone else, and it's it's open source. It's pretty awesome. Um, and the feeling of the presence, just being present in a virtual yeah. space, is very real. And then the feeling of having someone else there who can chat with you and talk with you, and you see that's very real too. So I, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a believer, hundred yeah. percent. Like we we talk about in VR, like. Um, the sense of being in the place is like embodiment. You are you are embodied in that world, and you give yeah. you give people their hands. Hands are so important. Yeah. Um, potentially a body, potentially mm -hmm. an arm, but you don't you don't need all of those things there to actually create this like incredible yeah. sense of immersion of being in a place. And then when you put other people in there and you see them and you have them in your like not just in the little box in front of you, but in your peripheral vision. And then moving, yeah. like this is where we invest uh, a fair amount of energy in in networking in multiplayer. Mm -hmm. and VR is like get that head and hand movement natural yeah. and directly responsive. That's where they like Valve was invested in like the finger curl system of the the Vive controllers. Um, why we 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 pose hands depending on the, the haptic touching of the mm -hmm. buttons. Are, mm -hmm. The buttons have haptics, so in sense where your hand is and why Oculus is investing all that money in there. Their like controllerless hand recognition tech. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like the latency added by that, but, but no, I, no, I, I don't. I, there's there's yeah. room for improvement. I think I, I, I would say you I think you'll be wearing bad. gloves in the future. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, in my team, we have like a couple of times a week. We have just a purely social morning meeting, and we use workrooms for it. Yeah. Um, whereas we use Teams for most of our day to day. 
um, business calls. But yeah. for this social one, we use workrooms and like they have the positional audio is really good. So such that you can actually have like sidebar conversations and you mm -hmm. actually really get that feeling of yeah. being in a social space with other people yeah. um, that is, is relaxed. Like we naturally on these video calls take turns in talking a lot more than you do in person. Um, and I'm not sure if it's like something about the way the audio is processed, the auto mute, how auto mute cuts in, but this, the positional audio and the, the it could be the delay as well. There's like yeah. interrupting somebody. You want to wait a little bit to let them finish speaking and be a hundred percent sure that you're not yeah. cutting them off because yeah. you can't. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. It's just the timing, right? Cause yeah. in what, like they can't eliminate that lag. In, in in a workroom type thing, you're still transmitting the, the audio over the perhaps internet. Perhaps it's perhaps it's that you're getting slight slightly fewer visual cues from the face because the face often is telling you like I'm about to keep talking, but now you can't really see that. So you got to assume that they're always going to keep talking and then wait longer to get confirmation. That would be my guess. Again, pulling that out of my butt. But it just it just it just works is is where yeah. I'm come from. Like it and I think like that's what we're trying to do with that with the orbital projects like we want to create a space where people can immerse themselves in a world mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and be um empowered we're talking a lot about like being empowered in vr you are you are um you can do things you can't do elsewhere yeah like yeah. um i'm a i'm a big advocate of like giving people a, a space to create with mm -hmm. others um yeah. it's about about like the game the game is important right but it's not it shouldn't be a hundred percent of your focus. Like yeah. the being in VR can be quite tiring. Mm -hmm. um, so what we want to do is create like, and a lot of people, and, and it's that totally valid, creating incredibly intense games that you do. And you're like, Oh my God, that was yeah, come the out sweaty, like, the sweaty game. Right. Like, yeah. like I, I mean, like fracked on PlayStation VR, the, the, we did with if you, Andrew, if you do like, VR, if yeah. you do VR competitive shooting games, the way that like, like a, an untethered VR experience would be, it could be as sweaty as literally running around a virtual space with padding everywhere and playing virtual paintball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? it is, it's, and that could be a sport, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, if you've seen gorilla you don't tag. want to play sport all day. Yeah. Right? You've seen, you've seen gorilla tag. I haven't actually, no. Uh, like, That's what they're doing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's tag in VR. Oh, that's cool. Like multiplayer tag in VR, and it's like it's incredible, but it's yep. also like kind of basic. But it's so yeah. immersive and so kind of yeah. visceral yeah. that it gets away with the kind of like jankiness that a lot of mm -hmm. um, VR experiences kind of have at the moment. Yeah. Um, it, but we're trying to do something a bit different. We're trying to do something that's like immersive engaging but yeah. also gives you space to be sociable and um yeah like giving play people like teleporting people into a fantasy place where they can just be and create um and engage in an in, a, in an intellectually stimulating activity which is the game mm -hmm. but also be with other people like you know yeah. how like kids will get together in minecraft creative right yep. and build stuff together i think that's kind of 
we're really early yeah. in our project, right? So we're still exploring concepts, still trying to figure out exactly what we're like. We don't have a game design yet. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yeah. what do we think people want? What do we want? What can we create that is going to be exciting for people to come together and kind of, mm -hmm. yeah, like be together in VR doing stuff that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I really think this is the killer app in VR, which is presence with someone over distance, real, real presence yeah. in a very meaningful way. Not yeah. necessarily a competitive game or even a gaming experience, but, but presence. Um, and uh, we're going to be living the next century. I mean, we, you know, we, we already all, how, how many people live on the same street as their parents? You want to yeah. hang out with your parents? You know, they're over there. My parents are literally on the other side of the world, yeah. right? In Australia. Right. Um, and uh, the idea of being able to be present virtually in a higher and higher and higher fidelity way, yeah. I, I think, is what excites me the most about VR. Um, let's talk about the thing that excites me the least about VR, which is blockchain. And, oh, and my metaverse. God. Like, I don't know why people are making What's those your opinion? two things. Like, I don't think they have anything to do with they, each other. They, they don't. They're like, yeah. met metaverse is exciting, but it doesn't need blockchain. Like, yeah. yeah, like nothing needs blockchain. No, uh, money laundering. Needs money, blockchain. La money laundering needs, uh, needs blockchain. Yeah, unregulated securities. Pyramid schemes need blockchain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but not the metaverse. It's not. It's not necessary. Metaverse is is just the idea that you have interconnectedness and virtual reality. Um, that you can go and be in a virtual space, and that those virtual spaces can be created by and contributed by towards by mm -hmm. like all the people and businesses that that want to add to that world yeah i'm 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 perhaps skeptical of a metaverse i i think i kind of think that there will be many uh, and there will be multiple curated experiences yeah but uh I, I don't know i just can't see the point of blockchain and it seems like people looked at the really hard problems of i want to create an amazing virtual world where People can do anything and whatever. And I've watched Ready Player One. I know the hardest problem is working at a database entry that tells me what sneakers you bought. Like that's not the hard problem. Not not even not even. Not even close. Yeah. Like, congratulations, you've created a a really slow append only linked list that happens to be <laughs> distributed. I'm not impressed. All right. Anyway, so I'm I'm pretty bearish as well. So I I really do believe in interactive virtual experiences in terms of like multiplayer programming becomes higher and higher fidelity. The presence and the interaction becomes higher fidelity over distance. We're bringing people together over distance. And I think that's a very noble thing. And, and I would like to call that metaverse. And I would think that there's sort of like a fully immersive version. And I think kind of, you remember when 3DFX came out and it was like a full pass through and you could have your, you'd have your display and then you could have 3DFX. And you had a real, it had a regular video card, and then you had your three D effects, and it would flick, right? I almost feel like VR right now is like hundred percent immersive, or hundred percent AR, and eventually it'll be a mix of the two. Yeah. But I, but I like to think of metaverse as kind of being these immersive experiences where you're fully in there, or overlay experiences where you're walking around. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's interesting because there was like, there's a. I mean, the AR technologies are getting there, and 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 I think the next round of headsets. I can't see from, either of these things not happening in a ten or twenty year time frame. Yeah, yeah, like, they're gonna happen. The heads, the headsets, they have to. Along. They're incredible. They're incredible. Yeah. 
Um, and like, there's a lot of investment in the kind of the, 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 the fidelity of pass through. Yeah. But I think the kind of activities that you do in VR versus AR, like mm -hmm. there, there's, a, there's a clear difference. Yep. Like you Agreed. immerse yourself in a world that's a fancy and you, mm -hmm. you want to be, it's escapism in VR. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I want to be somewhere else. I want to be fully immersed in something else. Yeah. 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 Like, whereas AR, AR is about supplementing, complementing. Placing the iPhone. You, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I want to, I want an iPhone glued to my face as I walk around. <laughs> like, not like, <laughs> and I, I have a daughter and trust me, she's, she's six and yeah, she wants an iPhone glued to her face. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, she would, she would walk if she could see. She yeah. would walk around staring at Minecraft all day as she goes to the fridge and gets breakfast. the The iPad is like here. Does, she, she literally, we actually she, put the iPad down when you get food to eat, mate. She have an iPad and and an iPhone. She has an iPad and she has a Nintendo Switch, and she right. dual she dual wields both yeah. of them as she walks yeah. to the fridge yeah. to get breakfast. Um, like yes, break, break. kids. Put, put your devices down. You haven't had breakfast yet. Yeah. yeah, I I've got a thirteen year old daughter. Um, it, it's it, and, awesome. and they like the the game on like I will go into her room and she will she will have her laptop open with like Minecraft or some other kind of PC ish activity that is a social activity. Probably Roblox actually, not Minecraft. Roblox is massive. Roblox should probably yep. get more attention from the mainstream games industry. Um, mm -hmm. It is huge. Um, she loves Roblox. She'll have like a video on her iPad as well. There's maybe like a walkthrough of whatever she's playing and she'll be on a call on her, on her phone at the same time, a wow. group call with like three or four of her friends that are all also doing those activities together with her. So it's like, it's highly social, but like multiple yeah. screens, all coordinated. Yeah. And that's the metaverse, right? Like yeah. add VR, sure. Like yeah. it's about being ex existing in those virtual spaces with your friends. That's what the metaverse is. Yeah, hundred percent. Cool. So, I think we know what the metaverse is now. Thad, <laughs> I've, I've solved it. It's... Thank you. Everyone can just invest in Thad now, um, <laughs> and uh, I'll. Me too. Why not? We, we know what the metaverse is, both the AR and the VR version. Honestly, Thad, I completely agree with you. So, um, what's going to be interesting is seeing over the next ten or twenty years all of the different implementations of this and, and how it folds out, hopefully without any blockchain. Yes. All right, man. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Super appreciated. And uh, hey, if anyone wants to come work with, uh, work with you at Endreams Orbital, where should we send them? Um, they should come to our website, endreams.com. Cool. Okay. Uh, reach out and, and see if you can work with that. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Cheerio. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Here's the hard truth. The internet doesn't care about your game. After all the blood, sweat and tears you put into making your game, you launch and some players get terrible network performance. What can you do about it? Build your own internet? This is why we created Network Next. Network Next is a radically new way of linking networks together. It's a new internet. One where networks compete on a neutral marketplace to carry your game's traffic. Network Next puts you, the game developer, in control of the network. We monitor every player's network performance and you choose when to accelerate them. 
Not only will you see better network performance for your players, you'll also have the security of knowing that if one network is congested, we switch to another in seconds. Now you control the network.